Hello, and welcome to the Strategica podcast from the Hoover Institution, analyzing the intersection of military history and contemporary national security concerns. You can find us online at hoover.org forward slash Strategica. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and today we take on the topic of our most recent issue of Strategica, the prospects for Afghanistan once the United States departs. And joining us now is the author of one of the pieces in this issue, Dr. Kimberly Kagan, founder and president of the Institute for the Study of War and member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. Kim, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. So let's start with some biographical insight because this isn't an abstract issue for you. You spent 15 months in Kabul in 2010 and 2011 working with General Petraeus and General John Allen. So I'll ask you the same question that I asked uh, Colonel Joe Felter, someone else in this issue who spent time over there when he joined us recently. For the average American, someone whose knowledge of the war is entirely a product of what they've seen in the media, what would surprise them the most about the reality that you saw on the ground in Afghanistan? American troops, Afghan troops, and NATO troops make a huge difference to the safety, security, and uh, conduct of daily life inside of Afghanistan. The amount of progress that the combined forces actually have made over the course, even of the surge years from 2010 forward, um, is really staggering, uh, let alone uh, the progress that they've made uh, since 2002. Um, the truth of the matter is that Afghans actually do want to secure themselves. They do actually want to govern themselves, and they do not want to be governed by the Taliban. Uh, and the degree of uh, Western intervention has absolutely allowed a degree of development in the Afghan state uh, that would not have been possible uh, without the extraordinary commitment of international troops and international funding. Now, you write in the opening of your piece at Strategica, I'm quoting you here, if America's experience in Iraq offers any single unambiguous lesson, it's the folly of just walking away. The United States must not repeat this mistake in Afghanistan, end quote. It strikes me that once we got past the idea of leaving Iraq, the media and maybe the American public lost interest very quickly in telling any more of that story. So can you explain that for our audience? Walk us through precisely what happened in Iraq after American forces left and what the implications could be in Afghanistan. The the interventions uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan were undertaken because the United States has fundamental national security interests in both countries. In Iraq, when U.S. troops actually uh, withdrew at the end of 2011, uh, the day that they left the country um, and uh, the four-star left the country, uh, turning uh, Iraq over to um, being a, an ordinary country uh, with normal relations with the United States, uh, Prime Minister Maliki actually started uh, to attack his political rivals and opponents in a way that has generated uh, not only a national protest movement uh, that we have seen over the past year, but facilitated the return of al-Qaeda in Iraq, albeit now under a new banner, 
um, and made it possible for that group uh, to return, recover, get support within the population, and uh, retake Fallujah uh, and move into parts of uh, the Baghdad area. The point being that actually American troops made a huge difference to the stability and security of Iraq, but the residual uh, force that the United States might have left uh, should an agreement have been reached between the United States and Iraq was actually very important to the way that Prime Minister Maliki calculated his political risks and took his political decisions. Uh, without American presence, he was essentially freed uh, to pursue his rivals in a different way, and he found it necessary uh, to bolster his own uh, security uh, by... Um, by removing uh, political opportunities for his rivals. As we take a look at Afghanistan, my great worry is that uh, should the U.S. forces uh, really dwindle to a number that does not provide safety and security for the next president of Afghanistan, um, the, uh, that person um, or the power brokers inside of Afghanistan may start taking matters into their own hands, may start trying to uh, establish their own security and remove their rivals and um, eliminate the kinds of political space uh, that we have worked so hard to create um, for Afghans to express uh, their political needs and to have a government that actually responds to them. Is there an ideal number in your mind as to how big the American presence should be in Afghanistan or is it less about the number and more about the role they're playing? How do you think about that? I think uh, there is a number that the United States uh, really needs to have in order to be able to maneuver around Afghanistan. It's a very big country. It's considerably larger than Iraq. Um, and it is uh, very difficult to access. And therefore, actually, one needs a larger force in order to operate efficiently in Afghanistan than one did inside Iraq. Nevertheless, uh, what General Dunford, the commander of U.S. and NATO forces in uh, Afghanistan, is now talking about is actually a smaller number than I personally uh, think is required in order to have an optimal footprint inside of of Afghanistan in order to be able to fulfill the multiple missions that U.S. forces will have, namely to stay behind and uh, guarantee the security of the Afghan government, to train and assist Afghan security forces, to um, pursue a uh, counterterrorism uh, mission, and uh, and do all of that in a way uh, that continues to secure the interests of the United States. So we're going to be below uh, what that optimal number is. Um, right now, I would say it is very important that the United States retain those functions and capabilities, the ability to train, the ability to assist, the ability to conduct counterterrorism, and the ability uh, to secure the democratic outcome uh, in Afghanistan in order um, in order for our troop presence uh, to be effective as the NATO mandate ends, as the ISAF ma mandate ends in 2014, and as new a new mandate begins for the United States and the international community. So just quickly, what, what is your number? And you indicated it's different than the one that we're going to end up with. What's that number? 
Well, I I personally have argued uh, elsewhere that I actually think about 25,000 troops are necessary um, in order to uh, maintain the kinds of basing in Afghanistan that I think uh, would actually be uh, truly responsible. But um, I recognize that uh, the United States is has essentially passed that decision point. And the, the question right now is whether um, we have a footprint of zero or a few thousand or up to 10,000 uh, inside of Afghanistan. And frankly, um, I think it is uh, really important to understand that as we go be- below a certain threshold, and I would say that threshold is about 10,000, um, we cease to provide the Afghan government with the kind of security and stability that they need and create a degree of uncertainty that we also saw with Prime Minister Maliki inside of Iraq um, that then uh, has them, uh, again, try to um, reorganize uh, the power structures in the country in the country in a way that are not necessarily consistent with good long-term outcomes, but rather uh, help um, with short-term outcomes for particular power brokers. One of the criticisms that you will sometimes hear of the war in Afghanistan is people who say, I understood the original purpose. I understood dislodging the Taliban from power in the wake of 9-11, depriving al-Qaeda of a sanctuary. But it's been 13 years and I don't know what we're fighting for now. So now in contrast to that, we have you, Kimberly Kagan, writing at Strategica, quoting you again. The U.S. continues to have interest in the fight in Afghanistan beyond the weight of the sacrifices already made and the promises given to thousands of courageous Afghans who have risen up against the Taliban and al-Qaeda counting on our assistance. Okay, Kim, how about it? What in 2014 are the factors that make staying in Afghanistan a compelling interest for the United States? First, uh, our senior leaders have uh, testified before Congress that, in point of fact, um, there are still enemy groups inside of Afghanistan affiliated with al-Qaeda, and that they are worried about those groups actually regaining sanctuary as U.S. forces draw down. Um, In addition, I would say that they have stressed uh, that one of those enemy groups, the Haqqani Network, uh, which operates across the border uh, from Pakistan into Afghanistan, is actually um, quite lethal, quite dangerous, uh, and uh, resurgent in its capabilities. The reason I bring that up is that should the United States actually not pursue uh, the continued stabilization of Afghanistan on the Pakistan border, um, we actually can see that safe haven in Pakistan actually grow big, come back into Afghanistan, and despite all of the efforts uh, that we have put in since 2002, uh, actually crumble the um, the the greater security in the Afghanistan-Pakistan border region that our forces and the Afghan forces have created. So that's the first reason why I think we need not only to remain engaged in Afghanistan, but why America actually has a vital national security interest there. Secondly, I think um, it's very important to recognize that al-Qaeda may well uh, take credit uh, for the U.S. and Western withdrawal from Afghanistan. I really do think that al-Qaeda as an organization is poised uh, to 
earn an unearned victory. Um, certainly, that group did not defeat us inside of Afghanistan, but as part of its overarching narrative that um, involves its rise and resurgence uh, from its central areas all the way to Syria, uh, to North Africa, and other locations, um, it will claim that it had the uh, advantage of us, the United States, in Afghanistan, and that's a real uh, psychological effect that our withdrawal can have. And then thirdly, I would say uh, that the United States does have vital interests in keeping the Afghanistan-Pakistan region stable, uh, especially um, as we look at the competition um, among those states' neighbors for control over Afghanistan. When Afghanistan is stable, we don't see the great power competition between Russia and Pakistan and Iran and China over uh, over Afghanistan. But when Afghanistan is unstable, it really invites proxy competition um, and regional powers to meddle in Afghan affairs. And Afghanistan is basically sitting uh, at the heart of multiple nuclear powers right now. And uh, I would say it would be unwise to get them into a competition competition with one another over uh, their interests, over control um, of that one, that important central state, Afghanistan. Now, as we record this in mid-April, the, the Afghans have held the initial election to see who's going to succeed Hamid Karzai as the country's next president. Now it looks like there's going to end up being a runoff election there to make the final determination. What are the keys to success in your judgment for – whoever this turns out to be, this first president of this Afghan government in the post-American era in Kabul? First of all, I think the most important thing is that there is actually a transition of power from the current government to a successor government. We in the United States of America tend to underestimate how important that first democratic transition is. I think it's incredibly important um, that there actually be a handover of power. And I think that with, of course, only uh, the initial results in from the election, uh, we are seeing that um, there will, of course, be a successor to President Karzai um, and that there is actually vigorous competition for uh, that successor position. And I think that that um, is really indicative of the health of of the Afghan body politic. So on the one hand, let's make sure that there is actually a transition of power. It's important not only for us, uh, the United States, because of course I understand that many Americans are frustrated with President Karzai, um, but it's really important for the Afghan people to know that power can be handed from one person to another via a democratic election. Secondly, I think it's uh, truly important um, that the outcome of that election and and its runoff be determined in a way that is satisfactory to the Afghan people, not in terms of, of outcome. Uh, every person in a democratic country uh, who truly has the right to vote can sometimes be satisfied with uh, or dissatisfied with the outcome of elections. 
but uh, that those elections are sufficiently free and sufficiently fair um, and sufficiently competitive actually to produce a legitimate government is an outcome that we should be looking for. And then lastly, I think uh, we need to recognize that the enduring commitment of the United States of America and the Western world to to Afghanistan will help to determine whether that successor is actually able to govern uh, or is undermined and eroded um, through the competition among politicians and the competition with uh, enemy groups such as the Taliban and the Haqqani Network such that they can't actually, um, that successor can't actually control the country. And if the United States actually stays in Afghanistan with a sufficient um, size force to continue to train and equip the Afghan security forces, if it remains committed uh, to Afghanistan, if in fact the United States commits to continuing to train and fund the Afghan army so that it can be a size and have capabilities that will help defend the political outcome in Afghanistan, then I actually think uh, we will be uh, considerably closer to achieving our strategic objectives than many Americans realize. All right. Final question. Play this forward for me. Assume, as, as I think we can safely, that the American role in Afghanistan is going to diminish along the lines of what President Obama has laid out. How does Afghanistan look as a result in the last few years of the Obama administration and what questions as a result does President Obama's successor, whoever that turns out to be, have to deal with with the country? I think that there are many important decisions that President Obama is going to have to make over the coming years that will actually determine whether there is a body politic in Afghanistan, a, a government in Afghanistan, or whether there is actually a return to ethnic civil war as we saw in the 1990s. Um, Obviously, uh, after after uh, the election, um, there will be a question of whether or not the U.S. leaves some forces or no forces inside of Afghanistan, and whether or not the U.S. Uh, funds the Afghan army um, at a size and strength that meets its actual requirements. Um, it is truly important uh, that President Obama leave troops in Afghanistan and that he support the Afghan army. Um, if he does not, if the funding for the Afghan army actually uh, diminishes to a point where that force is, is not capable of having a monopoly on the use of force within the country, um, then unfortunately, I think we can uh, find ourselves in a situation where the conflict between the ethnic groups inside of Afghanistan uh, actually rises back to a level of civil war. I don't think that needs to happen. Um, in fact, I really do believe that some good strategic thinking and some good long-term decision-making uh, that would preserve our gains could actually have a disproportionately lasting effect on the um, success of govern governance in Afghanistan. But if uh, the President of the United States decides to remove all forces or decides uh, to cut off 
without your funding uh, for the Afghan security forces in a way that actually really demobilizes part of those forces. And sadly, um, I, I really don't believe that we'll see political success. I think that we'll see the resurgent competition among power brokers and um, sadly, a resurgent Taliban and Haqqani network that is not accepted by the population, um, but that is able to worm its way inside of a um, political vacuum that could be created uh, simply by um, Western carelessness. Our guest has been Kimberly Kagan, founder and president of the Institute for the Study of War and member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. You can read her piece and those of other members of Hoover's Military History Working Group by visiting Strategica at hoover.org forward slash Strategica. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A. Kim, thanks for joining us. Thank you. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution. Thank you for listening.